We're in this series called Thus Says the Lord, and it's a look at the minor prophets. And the minor prophets of the last 12 books of the Old Testament, and, and perhaps you've read them maybe a while ago, or perhaps this is brand new. I, I've talked to a few of you that this is a brand new section of Scripture that you never come across. And when we talk about the, the, the prophets, it's not so much the prophets had this uh, ability to kind of look into a crystal ball, so to speak, and predict the future, although they did do that. Most of the time, they're like me. Like they're, they're preaching. They're preaching God's, God's Word, and we kicked it off a, a, a couple weeks ago by looking at Hosea. Last week was Joel, and then this morning we're going to dive right into uh, two prophets you probably have never read before, Amos and Obadiah. I'm combining them because Obadiah is only one chapter, and they're prophets around a similar time. And, and what we see uh, in this ancient and fascinating collection of writings of, of the twelve prophets uh, the minor prophets, is that we see God over and over demonstrating his love in a myriad of ways, in so many ways. Uh, we see it in, in him healing broken hearts. We see him showing his love in restoring forgotten dreams. We see him in, in forgiving past mistakes, as we're going to see that this morning, of past mistakes. We see him in reconciling relationships, and we also see him in, in refreshing, dry, and exhausted souls. And perhaps one, if one of those things have happened to you in your life, or for me it's like all those things, then these stories are our stories. This happened, but it happens. It's where God's word hap- actually intersects with our lives. And I think that's what it, the beauty of the minor prophets is. It's so relevant for our lives. And what we want to do is just turn to Amos. I invite you to turn to the book of Amos. You can follow along with your teaching notes, also with the slides behind us, or if you have a Bible app, or if you're old school and you actually have a Bible. You can't imagine something like that, right? Amos chapter, there we go, all right. Somebody's got a Bible. Amos chapter 5, verse 11. This is where God is speaking to uh, his people, and he, he says, You trample the poor. Stealing their grain through taxes and unfair rent. Therefore, though you build beautiful stone houses, you will never live in them. Though you plant lush vineyards, you will never drink wine from them. And at that time, God's people actually were living opulently. They, they actually were affluent. Things were going well. And they had a lot of affluence. And as a result, the materialism began to take over their lives. Material possessions like homes and vineyards it happened just very subtly. All of a sudden, their worldview, the, their view towards life was so uh, dependent upon their resources, those, their possessions. So this morning, what we're going to talk about is avoiding the trap of material possessions. And we need to do that. And, and that's the word of God to Amos and Obadiah. We need to do that because of, of four, three different reasons. Because it delivers false security and false significance. Also, material possessions provide little satisfaction. And then lastly, I'm going to talk about that the way to avoid this trap is through generosity. Let me pray for us this morning. God in heaven, I pray that you would anoint this message. And Lord, I just want to ask a a few people that are are, uh, regular attenders of this church to pray for me and pray for the sermon as I've been preparing it. And just feeling it this morning, I just feel sort of like some resistance in the spiritual realms. And this this is a topic, this is a concept that's so important, so relevant in our lives, and Satan would, uh, would like it for it to fall apart. So God, I pray that you anoint me, you anoint this message, that my heart would be open, my spirit would be open, that I confess of any sin, and I would be an empty vessel for you, for you to speak to our people here today, both those who are here present and also those who are listening online. 
God, I pray for clarity. And Lord, I pray for life transformation. As I prayed last week that this wouldn't just simply be another sermon, but there'd be, there'd be change in our lives. We'd walk away applying this message and, and actually living differently. And I want this sermon just to be, a, it, was, it was a great presentation. I want this to really hit us in our bones and really speak to us and maybe make us uncomfortable and in doing so to make changes for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. All right, let's turn over to now Amos chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, because again, they're living in an affluent time, and they're falling under this, in this trap of materialism and material possessions. And in chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, uh, God speaks through Amos to outline, again, what's really going on. What sorrow awaits you who lounge in luxury in Jerusalem, and you who feel secure in Samaria. Again, we have the North and South Kingdom. Uh, the North Kingdom was, was where Samaria was the capital city, and the Southern Kingdom was Jerusalem. You are famous and popular in Israel, and people go to you for help. But go over to Kana and see what happened there. Then go to the great city of Hamath, and, and then go down to the Philistine city of Gath, and you are no better than they were. Look at, and look how they were destroyed. But you push away every thought of coming disaster. Your actions only bring the day of judgment closer. How terrible for you who sprawl on ivory beds and lounge on your couches, eating the meat of tender lambs from the, from the flock and of choice calves fattened in the stall. And the first fill in the blank here is that materialism delivers false security. And that's exactly what God's people were, were uh, experiencing. They actually thought they were secure, sprawling in their ivory beds and eating from the tender lambs. And materialism and greed has been around since the beginning of time. This is nothing new. But, and we live in a society where it seems like the goal of life is to have more and more and more. And if we do, we'll be secure. If we have enough money, we'll be secure. But God tells us that is not the way. It says in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 18 through 19, that the greedy set an ambush for themselves. They're trying to get themselves killed. Such is the fate of all who are greedy for money. It robs them, robs them of life. And I'm not, what I'm trying to say is that not that material possessions are bad in and of themselves or that money is bad. I'm not saying that. But when it dominates your life, and that's exactly what was happening to God's people, when it becomes the source that you're so dependent upon for happiness, then you fall into that trap. And what happens is that you're so busy making a living, trying to get more, that you, that you forget to make a life. You're so busy making a living that you forget to make a life. And just going back again to verse 1a and 2 through 4, people making possessions. It says here in uh, 1a, what sorrow awaits you who lounge in luxury in Jerusalem. And we move down into verses 3 through 4. How terrible, you push away every thought of coming disaster, and then your actions are bringing the day of judgment closer. Then verse 4, how terrible for you to sprawl on ivory beds. And he's just, God's just saying, you, you're so dependent upon as, as, this, as the source of happiness for your life. You have allowed these possessions I have given you. These are good things. These are means to an end, to enjoy life with me. And instead, you, you flipped it, where these possessions have become an end. And they feel secure, secure. I think sometimes for us, we have this feeling, if I have money, then I have control in a very uncontrollable world. And that might be you right now. Is that if I have enough things, if I have enough possessions, 
that I have control in my life, and if things come along, I'm safe. And, and Jesus Christ says running after these things cannot add a minute to your life. It's God who controls the things in our life. Money is not going to turn you into a, a secure person for the rest of your life. Yes, it does help. But like we know, we come into this world with nothing, and we leave this world with nothing. Reminds me of a friend of mine who was a pastor, and he had a professor, um, Addison Leach, who knew a couple of young women who became Christians in college. It was amazing. During the college, they had given their life to Christ and were so on fire for Jesus. And he went back to their parents and shared with them that we become Christians. We have given our lives to Christ because their families are both non-Christian. They didn't go to church. And they said, we want to be missionaries. And both parents, their jaws just dropped. It was like against the, you know, the, the 10-year plan they had for their kids. And each of the parents said, now, you had a religious experience. That's great. It's wonderful. But you need some security. Before you go off to have your missionary experience, which is fine, we want you to have a master's degree. And then have taken a job or two so you get your career off the ground. And then we want you to have some money in the bank for some, some, for some security. And the women came back to Dr. Leach, that professor, and they told them with, with broken hearts, they told them the story about how their parents responded. And they asked them, what do we say to them? What do we say to them about this? And Dr. Leach said this. This is what you tell your parents. Tell them around a little ball of rock spinning through space. It's called earth. And who knows if we're going to run into something. But even if we don't, someday under each one of us is going to open a trap door. And it's called death and everyone goes through it. And at the end of your life, that trap door is going to open up underneath you and you will leave this ball of rock. And underneath you, you will either fall in the everlasting arms of God or darkness and in the pain of hell. And do you think a master's degree is going to give us some security. And that's what Dr. Leach said. And it's like, wise. And I'm all about education, but it, does that really bring security for us? We go back to verse 1, uh, 1b. You are famous and popular in Israel, and people go to you for help. And then in verse 5, you sing trivial songs to the sound of the harp and fancy yourselves to be great musicians like David. You drink wine by the bowlful and perfume yourselves with fragrant lotions. You care nothing about the ruin of your nation. And not only do material possessions um, deliver false security, but they also deliver false significance. Because we see that in verse 1. They became popular. They became popular. The neighboring nations, their neighbors began to take notice. The, the, the people of God have possessions. They, they have these nice palaces. They have these beautiful ivory beds. They have uh, choice meat. They have lamb. Look at the way they live. Isn't it nice that doesn't happen today? Yeah, that's what happens. That's material possessions kind of provide sort of a, a false significance. It's like if, if we have certain cars or if we have a certain size of house or a cabin or a boat or whatever that is, it like elevates us a little bit. And maybe subconsciously, we kind of look around at, at those who are not on the same socioeconomic status and we kind of look down at them. We feel superior when we have more stuff. It happens to each of us. That, that if I have this, and then you look around at your friends and they don't have the same thing, you feel superior. But if you start at the same place they did, especially for those who are poor, 
And as many of us give to people who are poor, we help those who are poor, both in the local area here, but also globally and perhaps in Africa, the Dominican Republic, that we feel sorry for them. But if we start at the same place they did, the same geographical region, and have the same parents they had, with the same situation they had, you think you and I would be any better? And when we feel that we're better economically than anybody else, we feel like we're higher caliber. It's automatic. And that's what possessions sort of deliver is this false significance. Jesus once said, where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. He means that the place where your heart is, is revealed is through your, uh, your focus. And what he, what he means, too, is for us that, that it's easy for us to fall in this trap of material possessions and money being a way of significance. Now, if we live in a certain place or we eat at certain places or we, we kind of hang out in certain circles, then we feel important. And it brings false significance. Well, the next thing that material possessions do, they provide limited satisfaction. Let's be honest. That the, the material things, and hear me, please hear me on this. I, I'm not saying you have to sell everything you have and take a vow of poverty. That's not the point. And God was not saying that through Amos. And we'll see in Obadiah as well. He's not saying that. God gives us, he blesses us with those things. But it's where we, we take those things and we make them an end. We make those like the, the highest thing in our lives. We're not saying you've got to sell everything. St. Francis of Assisi um, took uh, God's, God's word so literally that he really felt that he had to sell everything. He came from a very affluent family. And what St. Francis did is that he sold everything he had. And he had a lot of stuff. It's like he had two pods full of stuff. And he gave it away. Even his clothes. He took, he took God's word so literally that he gave away all his clothes. So for a full year, this is true, he walked around with no clothes. Okay? I don't advise that, especially in Minnesota. Don't do that. Okay? You don't need to do that. That's going way to the extreme. Finally, you know, St. Francis had some good friends who said, hey, hey, dude, put some clothes on. Okay? Yeah. We're not saying that. We're not saying that. But it, it, they do bring satisfaction. Whether it's clothing for you, it's shopping, whatever that is, it brings some satisfaction for me when I'm going on, on Crosstown and, and I'm, heading, I'm heading west and I look over on my right and I see that Aston Martin building with those nice cars and the Aston Martin my, it's on my bucket list just to test drive it once in my life. You know, the, the Aston Martin DB11, 5.7 twin turbocharged, 600 horsepower, brings you to 7,000 RPMs, and it sounds like this. are like, yeah, that sounds awesome, you know. But let's bring her down to reality because that's probably never going to happen. For me, I remember a few years ago, a person, uh, actually a, a community group gave me a gift. And the gift was for me to get the Scotty Cameron Titles putter. And then, by the way, for you non-golfers, Brian, this is not a booty. This is not a booty. It's a head cover, okay? And anyways, I remember walking into Golf Galaxy with my son, Alex. He helped me pick it out. By the way, if you don't know anything about Scotty Cameron Titleist putters, these are uh, the most popular putters on tour. 
and they're a little bit expensive, so, so much so when you go, go into Golf Galaxy, you can't just walk over and grab it and start putting it. They have it under uh, lock and key. Yes. <laughs> Anyways, but I remember going in there and, and picking it out. Alex helped me pick it out and just, you know, having, having the, the attendant or the employee unlock it and then putting with it and then walking out with it and then going golfing with my golf partners and having them be so envious because it brought satisfaction. In fact, you know, for the first few months, I just kind of slept, <laughs> slept next to it, go to sleep with fond dreams. God would speak to me like last week through dreams, but that's a joke. I never did that. Maybe once. Uh, but it, yeah, it, it made a difference. It knocked about four or five strokes off my handicap. And I remember those first few months, like, you know, being so satisfied. But after a while, what happens? It normalizes, right? You get used to it. New, the new car smell only lasts so long. I have, a, I have a friend in high school, he gets a new car every year. He leases them. And part of it, I think he just loves that new car smell. But after a while, these possessions, you just get used to them after a while, and then you need something bigger and better. It has limited satisfaction. It doesn't stay with us. But when we have it, it seems like it changes us. If you know the Lord of the Rings, when Smeagol hit for him, it wasn't a putter, it was a ring. When he gets that ring and his reaction to the ring, and I think some of us in our at least in the inside, we have a similar reaction when we have a certain possession in our hands. Let's take a look at that clip. That's what's going to happen to you if you touch my putter. It's going <laughs> to change you into like a beast and bring you to a def- different world. So don't touch my putter. <laughs> Just kidding. Anyways. But yeah, you see his reaction. And I, I think in, at least inside sometimes, I'll, I'll admit, I fall into that. It's like, yes, mine, precious. Maybe we don't say that, but we feel it inside. And, and yes, possessions have an allure to them. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a trap in the, them dominating our lives. But, you know, for us, uh, for us to simply just say, you know what? This is, they're just, they're just possessions. They're limited satisfaction. What really brings eternal satisfaction is a life in Christ. I know for me, what really brings long-lasting satisfaction is my love for God through Jesus Christ and my relationships with this church community. That's long-lasting. So for us, maybe possessions, maybe things in your life have dominated way too much, and you need to kind of recalibrate and say, I, I, need to, I need to love God. I need to invest in relationships with people in my life a lot more than the stuff, than the boat, than the cabin, what have you. And for us, to walk away and say, you know what, I'm not going to fall into that trap. This illusion of that it's going to bring long-lasting satisfaction. Last, I think the way that I have found uh, to avoid the trap of material possessions is actually through generosity. That's the next fill in the blank. It's interesting because when you talk about materialism or greed, all those things are pretty similar. I mean, greed's different or this, this desire for material possessions is different than other sins because it, it hides itself. It binds you in a way that stealing or adultery don't. 
And, you know, I, I've never had a person come in my office and say, hey, pastor, I want to confess of the sin of greed in my life. It just doesn't happen. It's never happened. But they'll share other sins that they're going through. And, 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 and greed, this uh, desire that we have for material possessions, it's very subtle. But I love what Jesus says in Matt, Matthew six twenty two. This is a great passage. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good... I wanted to stop there for a reason, because in, in the Greek, the word good means two things. It has a double meaning. It means good as in value, quality as we know, but good also means this. You may want to write it down. It also means, means generous. If your eyes are generous, that's the way we turn the influence and the power of material possessions in our lives by being generous people where we make Jesus the treasure of our life, and in doing so, he gives us a generous eye. He gives us a generous way of living. When we look at our friends, we're looking for opportunities. We look at, look at our neighbors, we're looking for opportunities to give. Because if we just receive, 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 and don't give, then we fall into the trap of materialism. But the way to push back and actually change it is to be a generous person. It's to look at, at, at ways that you can give. And every time that you and I give, we break that cycle. We break the grip that materialism and greed have in our lives. Because giving is the opposite. Material possessions, greed, it's all, about, it's all about what you get. And for us to break that grip, we need to do the opposite. To give, give, give. And when we think about Jesus Christ, and especially as we begin on Ash Wednesday and make our way through Lent, we think about Jesus and the way he sacrificed. He sacrificed, obviously, his life. Sacrificed so much. And to apply that into our lives in our generosity, if in your giving it doesn't cause you a sacrifice in your lifestyle, you're not giving enough. I'm not giving enough. If my giving doesn't cause a sacrifice in the way I live or what I buy, or what I do, then I'm not, I'm not giving in enough. To follow in the way of Jesus Christ really means to take this, his sacrificial way all the way into our money and what we do. And it, when we do that, we're living out the way of Christ. And for most people, as we talk about giving, is I want to talk about tithing. Because I think for most people, a tithe is a goal. 10%, it's a great goal. But maybe you're here this morning and you look at back in 2017 and you didn't give at all. And I would encourage you in 2018 to give some. Maybe it's 1%, maybe it's 2%. Start somewhere. Maybe for you it's, it's, it's 9 or 10%. And maybe for you it's God's inviting you to sacrifice and go 11 or 12%. And I want to challenge you in 2018 to do that. I want to, I want to dare you to try to outgive God. Because when you do, when you actually are generous, it's amazing what God does in your life. I've experienced this. I haven't been the best, but when I give to God in this local church here at Maple Grove Covenant, it's incredible what God has done in my life. And I'm not talking about prosperity theology. I'm not talking about having Aston Martin in my, in my driveway. That's not going to happen, okay? But other things that he's done in ways that I would never expect. And I want to challenge you in 2018 to actually do that. I, my prayer is for our church, not only to be a praying church, not only to be a loving church, but also to be a generous church. And I would love for this church to be the kind of church that gives on a regular basis. 
And that might, might be you when the offering plate comes by this morning. It might mean for you actually to dig deeper. Or if you give online, like what God is calling me to do, go higher to the point where it's actually going to sacrifice a little bit of my lifestyle. Because when I do that, I break the grip of this culture in this world, of material possessions. When I do that, I break the cycle. Because I fall into it just like you do. I allow it to dictate my life more than it should. But to live in the way of Christ is to live sacrificially in our giving. If Jesus is our treasure, then we'll give our money away joyfully, deliberately, and happily. There's a reason that the early church was so successful. And we actually have a letter from one of the early believers in the uh, first church, a guy named Dionetus. And Dionetus, in his letter, he, he told why the early Christians and the early church were so um, successful in terms of, of, of gaining believers and, and having a difference on culture and making a difference in the world. He wrote this, We share our table with everybody. In other words, we're generous with everybody. We help people who are in need, he writes. If someone needs something, we, we, we rally our funds together to, to give to them. So we open up our table, our homes to everybody. He writes this, but we do not share our bed with all. And what he's saying, in other words, he's saying to the world and to unbelievers that they were promiscuous with their body, but they were stingy with their money. And the Christians are the opposite. They were stingy with their body, and they were promiscuous with their money. And may you and I be the same, to be generous, to give away, to try to outgive God, and to make a difference. Let me pray. Father God, we give thanks for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to do life with you. And God, if we're honest, the, the impact of our culture on us has led us to this trap that material possessions are the way of life. And God, help us to break that cycle by being generous people. Again, the things that you provide for our lives, whether it's boats or cabins, homes, what have you, clothing, those are all gifts from you. And for us to remember that, but that's not the end all. God, help us to have our treasure on you. Help us to love you sacrificially and to love those around us, whether it's people in this church, friends, family, and with them, to be so generous and so giving. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.